Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I want to get to this story as well today, and this is pretty significant. Uh, and we've had a lot of these kind of discoveries as of light. Our, our ability, the technology we have at our disposal to detect exoplanets, planets uh, that are circling other stars, planets in other solar systems, has made tremendous leaps forward. And in particular, finding those planets that could be in the so-called Goldilocks zones, potential Earth-like planets that might be at the right distance from their star, have an atmosphere, maybe even possibly to be able to support life. There's a big uh, uh, announcement this week. New study has discovered water vapor in the atmosphere uh, of an enormous exoplanet, KT-18b. It's about eight times the mass of our planet. But the discovery of water vapor, even potentially liquid water or rain clouds, that would be a huge discovery and might offer some tantalizing clues about whether life could exist on these planets. Well, joining us to talk more about this research, which is getting all kinds of international attention today. Very pleased to welcome the program. Uh, Bjorn Benneke is Assistant Professor at the Institute for Research on Exoplanets at the University of Montreal. Professor, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, th- like I say, this is hugely important and, and also incredibly fascinating. Talk a bit more about how scientists are able not just to detect these exoplanets, but also to, to learn more about them, like, like in this instance. Yeah, so what we, what we used to do this is we're using, in this case, the Hubble Space Telescope. That's, for us, the most powerful telescope that we have, um, and also the Spitzer Space Telescope. And what we do is we observe the planet as it transits, as it goes in front of the star. And during that time, the planet blocks some of the light uh, from the star. This is the way we initially discover the planet also. And because we see that the star becomes slightly dimmer because some of the light from the star is blocked by the planet being between us and the star. So that's initially how we find the planet. But now to go beyond that is actually a bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. But what we do is if the planet has an atmosphere around, um, um, around the planet, then what happens is that during this time when the planet is just in front of the star, as seen from us, some of this light from the star that arrives at our telescope actually has to go through the atmosphere. It passes through the atmosphere, it grazes through the atmosphere, and now we can analyze that light and we effectively see what light made it through the atmosphere and what light didn't make it through the atmosphere. And the nice thing is that every molecule, like water, vapor for example, or also methane gas or, or CO2 or CO, has very characteristic signatures um, in this, what we call the transmission spectrum. So we, we analyze the light that goes through the atmosphere, and by analyzing this light, we can say what molecules, what gases are in the atmosphere. And that's what we did here. Um, we detected the presence of water vapor in the atmosphere of K218. Um, and what makes it very, very exciting compared to all these studies that have been previously done is that this planet is, as you said, in this so-called Goldilocks zone. It's in the habitable zone. That means that the planet actually receives the same amount of heat from its star as the Earth receives from our sun. That means that the temperatures there are very much, um, are very compatible with what we like, are very comfortable for us. Um, 
And that is a very specific, uh, very special case. Now we have a planet there that is at the right temperature and we know that there is water. And beyond that, what we have seen now is that we can also detect um, the signature of a cloud deck on this planet. And we looked into this in more detail and in more detail and we came to the conclusion quite clearly that this must be a cloud deck that is composed of liquid water clouds because it take because this um, this cloud deck is at a, at a level in the atmosphere where the conditions are just right for this water vapor that we have detected to condense and form little droplets so that we basically then form a water cloud very very similar to the water clouds that we can see right now over over Montreal. Wow! So th- th- <laughs> we might be this might be a rainy planet we're talking about. Yeah, so exactly. And there are some things that are very, very similar to the Earth. And I will also talk a bit about the things that are very different from the Earth. Um, what does happen here is exactly like we have this in our atmosphere. Um, there are, there's the temperature is right and the pressure is right for water to be in a liquid phase. And I think from a, we think from a biological point of view, this is actually very, very crucial because that is actually what astrobiologists or biologists in general are very, very interested in, is to finding liquid water. We find water vapor and things throughout the universe in different, in, in different temperatures. We have found some experiments before. But here we now have, a, have a, a planet where we can actually infer that this water is also condensing on the planet and then would be raining out. Um, so that is very similar to what we have here on Earth. But yeah. one thing that is very, very different, that is that this planet is, in some regards, really not like the Earth. Um, the planet, as you said, is eight Earth masses, and it has a radius of something like 2.5 Earth radius, so it's 2.5 times bigger and eight times more massive than the Earth. But when you look into this and you do look at the density, what you actually um, conclude is that this cannot be a bare rock. If it was a rock like the Earth, um, and mostly composed of rock, it m- would need to be heavier, and it's not as heavy. So what we know about this planet is um, that it's actually a planet that has some kind of interior that is maybe rocky and and icy, or it's basically some solid material, but then there is a a very, very thick envelope of gas around this planet. Um, So not like the, the small atmosphere that we have on Earth, but effectively this planet is in a way that if you threw a rock on it, like a small pebble or whatever, um, it would not hit some surface. It would go deeper and deeper in the atmosphere to a point where the pressure and the temperature is very, very high. And at some point down there, the composition would become more, maybe more rocky and more, um, more other species. But um, that is in some way very different. But what is exactly very exciting here is that in the atmosphere, in the upper layers of the atmosphere, or in the, in the mid-range of the atmosphere, that's what we usually call this, um, where the pressure is one bar, like on Earth, um, there the temperatures are very, very good. and The conditions are very, very good. This is why water can condense there and form. And so what would happen is that these little water particles, uh, these little water droplets, they would grow and grow like the same way that they do in the clouds here over Montreal, and then eventually they would rain out. So we would see, if we were there with a balloon hovering there, we would see raindrops. Um, but then what happens, and that is different from the Earth, this rain does not hit some solid surface because there is no solid surface. What this happens is that these raindrops are falling deeper and deeper 
into the atmosphere, into the higher and higher pressures. And at that point, the temperature down there is actually higher and higher. The same way that if you are basically a cloud, uh, cloud droplet that is somewhere in the, in the higher atmosphere here where the airplanes fly and the droplet falls, it will actually experience that it gets warmer as it goes down because it becomes warmer from where the airplanes fly to where, um, where we live. But there on this planet, it goes on and on and on. It becomes warmer and warmer. And so this droplet will actually never hit the solid surface, but it will evaporate as it's falling. And so at that point, the water will be, again, in the vapor form. And so then this vapor is now part of the gas, again, of the atmosphere, and then circulation in the atmosphere, the same way that we have winds and everything on, on the Earth, will bring this up again. And then the water will condense again. So there is some cycle of rain likely to happen on this planet. Um, but there is no ocean or, or puddles or something like this on this planet. But what is quite interesting, and this is why it's also so exciting, is that the first time that we have detected the signature or the, the um, kind of the hints of, of, um, of liquid water outside the solar system on a planet like this, and that in this region... Where the, where the clouds are, the conditions are actually very, very comfortable. Um, so we're not, so at that point, there the pressure and the temperature is just right. If you were in a balloon hovering through these clouds there, you would actually be quite comfortable. Uh-huh. Of course, you would need to have some breathing equipment because yeah. you probably couldn't <laughs> breathe the atmosphere, the, the gas there, but it would be a quite comfortable environment in that way. Um, yes. Uh, in, in terms of where this is, by the way, th- this is not exactly close to Earth. How, how far away is this solar system? Yeah, so this solar system is something like 110 light years away. So even if you could go at the speed of light, it would take you 110 years to go there. Mm-hmm. And just to give you kind of a, a perspective on this, um, the sun for us looks is also quite far away, or Mars is also quite far away, but the light only needs something like eight minutes to go there. Um, yeah. Whereas this star is 110 light years, so you can kind of imagine how far this is. It's, it's very far, um, but on the kind of maybe on a global universe scale, it's really in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so because the universe is so big, but um, it is effectively a relatively close star on the kind of astronomical, astronomical kind of distance scale, and it's at a distance where where we actually even see some of the brightest stars that are 100 light years away. We can even see them by bare, with our bare eyes. So some of the stars that you can see in the sky every night, when the night sky is clear, some of those stars are not further away than, um, than, uh, than, this, than, this, uh, than this star and this planet is. Um, yeah, so it's, it's far if you want to go there, um, but it's relatively close if you do... If we if we do um, astronomical observations of it, right? Not not so far that we can't learn more about it. So I mean, I guess the question then is, so where do we go from here, both in terms of learning more about this planet and and finding other planets like it? Yeah, I think what is really what the study really shows nicely is that we have now demonstrated that we can even go to these low mass planets in the habitable zone, and if we really use our resources, our most powerful telescopes we can even study the atmospheres of those planets and we can even probe for water on those, uh, yeah, water and water clouds on those planets. Um, this planet is a very favorable target, so I'm sure it's going to get 
more observations in the future. But at the same time, we're also pushing more and more, maybe for even planets that are even more similar to Earth, where they would be a rocky surface, for example. So all of those things are happening. Canada is also quite involved in this. Um, so, for example, um, Canada is involved in the, in the James Webb Space Telescope. That's the next generation um, space telescope that is um, being built um, here, led actually by Montreal as well, but and all of Canada is involved. Um, and this is a big telescope that where Canada is heavily involved. Um, the United States is very heavily involved. Europe is very uh, heavily involved. And that will actually allow us to, to probe, for example, this particular planet in much, much greater detail. We would actually probe for all kinds of um, gases in the atmosphere. We could see whether there's methane. We could see whether there is um, carbon dioxide, whether there's carbon monoxide. We can really understand what the conditions are there. We can maybe learn even more about those clouds. And so this will all um, happen with the next generation telescopes. At the same time, we have also the NASA test mission right now since 2018 in space. It's a small telescope, but a very powerful, and it finds planets. It's, it finds transiting planets. And it has been very successful over the last, um, I would say, 12 months now in identifying planets around all the stars that are the closest to us. And we really prefer to look at something that is close to us because, I mean, if we ever want to go there, right. it would be better to have something that is maybe 50 light years or 30 light years away, even if it seems far, than having something that is 30,000 light years away. Um, and at the same time, the closer it is to us, the easier it makes it for our telescope. Because in the end, we need as much as possible the light from those um, from those stars, from those planets. And the further it is away, the less light arrives here. So we're trying to go for the very, very, on the relative scale, the very close ones um, in our neighborhood, what we call the solar neighborhood. It means that it's the neighborhood of our sun. Um, and, and so we're making lots of progress in finding more exciting planets. We're having this amazing telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope coming up, um, to characterize those planets, we have even here in Canada a dedicated survey once the, telescope, once the James Webb Space Telescope is in space to, to probe five planets in the rocky regime where we know these are rocks um, like the Earth, the terrestrial planets. So all of this will happen in the next uh, few years. And there's lots of, lots of progress in the field. It's, it's breathtaking how, how fast things go, um, super exciting. And obviously, our team is also very excited about this about this oh, discovery yeah. that we made just now. Understandably so. Yeah, it's an amazing time for astronomy and astrophysics. This is obviously a, a huge discovery, a huge team effort. Professor Benicky, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on this, and uh, hopefully we'll speak in the future. But appreciate this here today. Okay, thank you so much. All the best to you. Uh, Bjorn Benicky, Assistant Professor at the Institute for Research on Exoplanets at the University of Montreal. He is the lead author in this paper, uh, one of 15 listed authors on this paper. So, uh, look, if you're a life form of some kind, there might be other challenges to uh, living on K218b, but if you like comfortable temperatures, rain clouds, rain, uh, it checks some of those boxes. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.